Are you ready? Are you ready for September? September? September. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast, in conjunction and partnership with Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear. Elk Hunting 201. Class is in session. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first installment of the School of September series brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast. Guys, my name is Jim Huntsman, the host, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. I am really pumped to be bringing this episode to you guys because that means it is April and we are closing the gap until September 1, my favorite hunting season in all of the land. And uh, I know it is for a lot of you guys as well, so I appreciate you, uh, you joining me. I hope you are buckled up for this episode. So guys, what is School of September? If you tuned in last year, you'll know kind of the idea behind the School of September series because these are bonus episodes on top of the regular show that we release on a weekly basis here at the Western Huntsman Podcast. We get a lot of new listeners, so I like to explain that the platform of the Western Huntsman is a platform for every and all Western hunters. And it doesn't matter if you're a bow hunter, a rifle hunter, it doesn't matter what type of hunting you do. It is a platform for all of us to grow our passion for Western hunting and hunting in general so that we have this like coalition of passionate hunters willing to fight and protect and defend our lifestyle, uh, defend it against the politicians that want to that want to take our public lands or, or some of the folks that want that, to that think hunting is bad and that these, this anti-hunting organization or movement, so to speak. Uh, that wants to ruin our lifestyle. And so that's kind of what the uh, the foundation. So on top of that, the School of September, the idea behind it is we have a lot of different personalities and a lot of different types of hunters that come on to talk about how they're successful every year in the month of September, chasing rutted up, screaming bulls. And that's, uh, like I said before, this is my favorite hunt of the, of the year. It's, my, it's what I look forward to all year around. And the idea with, um, you know, there's not just one way to be successful in the Elkwoods. There's just not. It's, it, there's, there's a lot of different ways. And these people that I bring on prove it because none of them hunt identical. None of them hunt the same way. They all have a little bit different take and a little bit different twist and a lot of different recommendations as to what they feel makes you successful. And you need to take all that information, compile it into your mind, and compare it and contrast it with your own personality and your own style to develop your own way to be successful in the Elkwoods. That's the point of this. And it's the probably some of the most uh, 
diverse and widest collection of opinions and it is all from people that get it done every year and they're willing to come on this show and talk about it with you guys to help you become successful so whether this is your first year going out this coming september 2021 or this is your 10th or 20th year you're gonna get some information and education out of these episodes to help you in fact after last september we had all these and i'm gonna go through them so you can find them but we had uh, so many messages of people, of listeners that, that tuned in and then they wrote in to me and they said, hey, you know what? I want to thank you for the School of September series because I feel like because of you, I was able to notch a tag in September. And that, folks, makes my world go round. I, I just love hearing that kind of stuff. It's so important to me. And uh, this is not the point of this show is not for you to learn from me. It's it's for you to learn from these experts. So if you didn't tune in last year, that information is still super relevant. And I, I would highly recommend you go back and you can find all the episodes if you jump on the the westernhuntsman.com or wherever podcasts are found. You know you you can find them anywhere. It's super easy. Go back to next year. We started in April last year. We started out with the elk nut Paul Medell. Uh, we had Dirk Durham, the Bugler on, Corey Jacobson from Elk 101. We had Michael Batiste of the Elk Calling Academy, Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls, Joe Gillia of Elk Bros, and Chris Rowe of Row Hunting Resources. These are some of the top names in elk hunting. They're names that most people recognize. And to kick us off for 2021, boy, do I have a treat for you guys. We're going to start with a friend of mine. His name is Zach Bohe, and he heads up the Hunt DIY platform. Zach is the most down-to-earth, highly successful elk hunting machine. Zach has been hunting for several decades. He has notched more tags than as, as anybody else as I've had on this show, uh, given the time period that he's been doing it for. And he is just so down to earth. He's such a great communicator, and his perspective is unique, uh, just like everybody else on the School of September. One thing unique with Zach is he's got this platform called Hunt DIY, where they make these really cool videos, especially on their YouTube channel, where you can go in and kind of watch all these different hunts, from deer hunts to elk hunts, all, all these things that you guys need to check out because you'll learn a lot from those videos. Zach was willing to come on this show and, and kind of share his experience and his recommendations to, to walk us through and get us ready and pumped for September. And I really appreciate Zach's time with me because it, it really is the kind of stuff that will make you think. It'll, it'll It's the stuff that will stand out in your mind when you're out there and you've got a screaming bull responding to whatever call you're throwing out there. This kind of information is going to suddenly pop in your mind. And you're going to remember, oh man, I heard Zach talk about this on the School of September and here's what I need to do. It's going to give you that extra boost of confidence that is so important in the elk woods. Zach is not just a great hunter. He's just a great guy, the kind of guy that you'd want to sit around a campfire with and just BS about the past and, and elk hunting and all things in life. He's a, he's a wonderful writer. If you've never read anything that, uh, that Zach's put out there, you can find it all in like the Western Hunter magazine and many, several other. We talk about it while he's on. And he's, he's one of my favorite uh, outdoors writers. So very important critical to kind of key in on some of that stuff guys because what you hear on a podcast can be translated different if it's in written print and so i recommend you read a lot of this stuff as well we're going to get zach on before i bring zach on i need to tell you who makes this show possible 
And because this is a bonus episode, this is going to be super quick. So I want you to check out Phelps Game Calls if you are in the market for, and what better company to talk about when we're talking to school of September, right? So if you're in the market for uh, game, game calls, whether you're using external reads or diaphragms or you need a bugle tube, uh, several other game calls that are available at phelpsgamecalls.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Scree Extreme Mountain Gear. Guys, I, I say this all the time, but my favorite thing about Scree is you're going to get this high-performance hunting attire and camo and gear for not breaking the bank. You don't need a second mortgage. Use promo code the Western Huntsman and check it out at ScreeGear.com. Hoffman Boots, the boot company that I love and have loved for years and years. I love my Hoffman Explorers in the 8-inch and that is my go-to boot. Check out HoffmanBoots.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. And last and certainly not least, if you want to film your hunts and you're interested in kind of getting some of those different point-of-view type kind of angles and being able to control it all from an app and all these cool products, check out Tacticam. Go to Tacticam.com. Soon you will be able to find that on the Western Huntsman website and go right there. We're just getting that all added right now as we speak. So guys, without further ado, give it up for my friend and great elk hunter and inspiration to all, Zach Bohey. This uh, episode of the first edition of School of September for 2021 is with my new friend, Zach Bohey. He's down in Arco, Idaho, and operates a company called Hunt DIY, a YouTube channel and and a really interesting Instagram. Um, All the things that need to be kind of said uh, when, when we're talking in regards to the September archery elk hunting is going to be talked about on this episode. And Zach has a lot of credibility on this. He's killed more elk than the plague. Uh, he's a great guy to have on for, for this kind of episode. And guys, I hope you're excited because we're, we're counting down the days. Once school of September drops, it's just a matter of a few months until September actually gets here. Well, I know you might still be feeling that, that, uh, spring chill air, but, uh, rest assured the chill of September and those cold evenings and that, uh, those warm days are coming up quick. Zach, I appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, thanks for being here, man. You bet. Glad to do it. Uh, we get to talk about my favorite, my favorite subject. So yeah, uh, we, so I love elk. So. Yeah, mine too, man. And so what's funny, what the audience doesn't know is we have tried to record this like three different times in the last twenty minutes or so, um, <laughs> with yeah. a lot no of luck, <laughs> a lot of technical difficulty. But it seems to be recording good now. <laughs> And yeah, fingers um, crossed. Knock yeah, on wood. I think I think we're good, man. As long as my cell phone doesn't die, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get through this. So I I appreciate it. Um I let's let's go ahead and just kinda pick up where we left off, man. Tell us a little bit about you, how you got started in hunting, and uh we'll expand into hunt DIY and go from there. Okay. Well, um just pretty fortunate, you know, I uh I guess we already went through like I said, went through this once, but uh yeah, my uh my dad was really into elk hunting still is he's 70 but still into elk hunting and uh 
owned a little archery shop, ran out of our house there. He had a full-time job that ran a little archery shop on the side and I was around archery a lot. Um, you know, started shooting a bow when I was four years old. And, um, so, you know, once I was old enough to hunt, dad made the hunts all about me, drug me all over the place and, uh, killed my first bull when I was 15 after a few, few years of trials, uh, with short time, but, uh, Mm -hmm. but, but, um, and, I, yeah. that, and that's what I was asking you about when we got cut off last time is, is you're 15 years old and you kill your first bull. Can you kind of walk us through that story and how, how that played out? Yeah, it was uh, early September, about the 10th of September. We were hunting actually a new area that we hadn't hunted. Well, my dad had hunted the year before, I guess. I, I take that back. And at that time, we had a lot of uh, spike-only seasons in Idaho. I don't know if you remember that or not, but mm-hmm. they they switched some of the units from spike-only back to big bulls, and it had been it been years. And so we actually left where we live and went and hunted a new spot just because my cousin lived there. So there's lots of big bulls and my dad and cousin, they killed bulls the year before. And I actually had a bull tag that year with my rifle and couldn't hit one. So I didn't kill one. Uh, but, uh, so I was 15, we were, you know, just working through kind of cold calling. We did hear, hear one bull bugle early and we actually came into this meadow, probably a hundred yards long or 200 yards long, hundred yards wide. And there's one tree in the middle of this meadow. Um, we were about 20 feet from that tree, just kicking back, eating a PB&J, actually. And we were just blowing our cow calls, you know, talking with my dad and my, our friend Kirk. And and all of a sudden, Kirk says, there's a bull coming. He whispered it. And I thought he was just, you know, whatever. Being, um, being kind of smart about it. Yeah. Being a, and I looked over. I just kind of peeked to my right. And sure enough, here's this five-point bull walking out through the meadow. And he you know, there's no, we're, we're sitting flat on our butts, bows laying on the ground, you know? And, um, so nobody moved and this bull walked and as he passed behind that, the only tree, you know, that tree 20 feet in front of us, I uh-huh. looked, I looked at my dad and dad didn't say a word, just gave me a nod. I picked my bow up and like a seasoned pro, I don't, I don't know how, but drew my bow back. The bull stopped at 36 yards, smoked him. I mean, uh, <laughs> and, I, and, uh, I, I, I just a little funny story is my, my buddy Kirk that's with us always said, you're going to fall apart when an elk steps in front of you. And I said, no, cause he had missed a lot of elk. He, he's about, well, he's 10 years younger than my dad. So he's 20 years older than me. Uh-huh. And he said he, he couldn't, hit, he hit, he missed every elk in the world when he first started, you know, and he's like, <laughs> you're going to miss. So he bet me five bucks. I wouldn't hit the first elk I ever shot at. Well, I shot and I'd turn around and drop my bow and reached out my hand. Like, where's my five bucks? And, uh, <laughs> And, and I, he, I, I mean, he was like, how this kid is just like, it's cool as a cucumber. And within the next two minutes, I couldn't talk. I couldn't stand up. Uh, I mean, I, I lost it like waves. That's of, amazing, man. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, but it, man, it, it sure, it felt like at 15 years old, I've been waiting for that moment my whole life. And it, uh, it definitely cemented a love for elk hunting. So it, that, was, it was cool. That's what I kind of so. wanted to ask you about because I, I did not shoot a bull elk at 15 years old. Right. And most hunters didn't. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, like, what is the feeling when you're 15 and you got this, you know, 700 pound screaming horse down on the ground um, right in front of you? Like, can, can you can you describe that for, as, a, as a, like from a 15 year old's mind? I mean, it was pretty overwhelming, but I mean, it's just. I know it's crazy to say, but like I've been into a lot of elk at that point too. Like I said, um, the, the previous three years, 
my first day ever elk hunting, my dad called a spike into me to 40 yards. Uh, my first day ever. My birthday was, um, my birthday is August 31st. And at that time, elk season opened September 1st. It didn't open August 30s like it did now. And mm-hmm. I was shooting a, I was shooting a PSE USA Spirit Junior at 47 pounds. Oh, sweet. Um, and, uh, my dad, he would not let me shoot. He said, I don't want you shooting past 30 yards. Um, just didn't have a lot of power, you know, and, and he called a spike in my first day and it came in and it pooped around for a while and laid down at 40 yards for about 10 minutes. Um, you know, and, and there were several close calls in the next couple of years. So I'd definitely been around elk. Um, yeah. and the elk hunting was off the hook at that time too. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous back then. Um, but you know, I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing. I think I was probably at 15 when that bull died. I was probably, even though I was excited, I was probably too young to understand, the the moment as much or you know it's also hard to understand that like i was lucky my dad was a really good elk hunter the guy the guy sitting next to me kirk was a really good elk hunter um so i mean i, I had Your dad's I, just like a good all-around elk or hunter man i mean not just elk as as we kind of go into this hunt diy thing from, from my perspective watching some of your videos on youtube you, you guys have put together this this episode where you're hunting the missouri breaks and you keep kind of going back in time to this old 19 early no 90s. that's not that oh, ain't me that's not you no that was not me that was so that was another feller that was another guy that was doing some video for us oh gotcha, that was gotcha, another gotcha. that was another zach yeah oh yeah. that's why i'm confused because he kept talking about his son zach yeah and, yeah so that that's another guy that was doing some video with us a couple of years ago Okay. So, okay. Yeah. I, I let's, but let's stay on that topic because I, I, this is a, this is a super important part. And one of the foundational things that we talk about on, on this show is kind of passing down this tradition of hunting to our kids and, yeah. and what we learn from our parents, you know, and, and how we're carrying yeah. that on. Um, can, oh, you, yeah. can you kind of expand on that and tell us a little bit about I, how that, that influenced you? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, I can't even, put into words how much my dad influenced me with hunting. I mean, it's, he, like I said, he made it, there's a lot of guys that take their kids hunting, but they, you know, I've seen it. I had friends that they're, they went hunting, but you know, they're, they always shot something their kids didn't, you know what I mean? They were mm-hmm. my buddies, you know, and my dad had, by the time I started hunting, my dad was killing up about every single year with a bow. Um, and man, he didn't shoot an arrow my dad never shot an arrow with me from when I was 12 until I was 18. I think because, he never fired because he an arrow. focused all on you. Is that why? Yeah, he, man, I was up front. Um, every situation was about me. Um, and you know, I, I killed a few, I missed a lot. Um, you know, I screwed up a lot obviously, but yeah, I mean, he just, my dad's dad died when he was 18. Um, mm-hmm. and I, so obviously I never got to meet him, but, uh, my dad's always said that he sees a lot of me and, you know, a lot of his dad in me. And so and his dad loved hunting. And I think he just saw that in me that I loved it. And I just had a fire for it. And, uh, he made it about me, man. He drug me all over the place. And so after, you know, as I got older and, and I started killing a lot of elk, you know, and, and I've taken a lot further than him. And so I spent the last, 20 years dragging him all over the place and it's it's been a it's been a riot man God, so. that's fantastic it's yeah. it's so cool and it's it's a real similar story i never met my 
dad's dad, my grandpa on my dad's side because he died when my dad was 15, you know, and so it, it does translate into like this different parenting style, right? Yep. Um, yep. And, and and things are things are noticed that might not be noticed otherwise, and so yeah. um, well, let's. Oh, go ahead. I, I cut well, you off. Well, I, I just I just know that hunting formed a relationship between my dad and I that a lot of people don't have, and I feel I'm real lucky to have. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know, I made it a priority that that's what I'm gonna have with my kids, you know. And so all my kids are into hunting, luckily, and and uh, I've tried to pass it on, and it's. It's all because of the way my dad took me, every bit of it. How many kids? How, uh, what are your ages? Uh, so I have a 16-year-old daughter, 13-year-old daughter, and an 11-year-old son. Do your daughters hunt? Yep, yep. My uh, my oldest daughter has killed, um, by the time she's 11, she'd killed two six-point bulls and a four-point buck and a bear and uh yeah they've they've been they've all they've all they've all she she got her first archery kill on a deer last year but they've they've all been really successful at rifle hunting like my boy's 11 he's already killed an elk and a bear and three mule deer and a coos coos deer and man a coos deer even no kidding yeah we went yeah i took him coos deer hunting last uh last uh november so awesome yeah yeah so do you have this thing um i i know that we're, we're getting a little off topic I, I have this thing. So I only have daughters, man. I don't, I don't have any sons. Um, yeah. I have this thing where I, I imagine or I envision my daughters, you know, meeting some boy when they're a little older, they're teenagers, you know, whatever. And But they have, like, this better stat as a hunter than these, oh, yeah. these boyfriends. Do you have that? Or is that oh, just see, some weird thing well, for me? Well, my daughters are already way like in their grade by far the most yeah. Good, oh, yeah. <laughs> accomplished hunters. So, so I mean, it's not even close. So. Like I want my daughters to teach their boyfriends or whatever yeah. when they're in their late teens. Well, it's teens. one of those deals. Like, yeah, well, yeah. you know, I'm, I, I met my wife at an archery shoot and, uh, you know, she was kind of her dad's hunting buddy and then she became my hunting buddy. And so I don't want some dude to come steal my daughters away. Take, I mean, they can right. they can marry him, but they still got to go hunting with me, though. So yeah, yeah, but but yeah, I know so. I worry about that part too, man. It's stressful. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a that's a tough subject. I just uh, I want my daughters to like not have to live up to some level of you know what their what their potential future boyfriend of which I will kick the shit out of. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so we're clear. Um, yeah. But anyway, we're getting off topic here. I want let's let's transition to Hunt DIY. Uh, can okay. you tell us about that platform and and a uh, little bit about that, how it got started and all that? So I I started writing magazine articles. Um, how it kind of started. I started writing. I wrote my first magazine article in like 2007. Um, I went on a self guided caribou hunt in Alaska. We drove to Alaska and hunted caribou and and uh, and so I wrote an article about that. Um, you know, I just started writing for some people and then, um, actually became friends with, uh, Nate Simmons from the Western Hunter. Um, and I was actually on a couple episodes of the Western. I've been on a few episodes of the Western Hunter. I've killed a yep. couple bull, couple bulls on there and a moose on there. And, you know, and I just liked the video part of it, you know, and I just decided that I had some, you know, I still haven't told the stories that, um, I want to tell with Hunt DIY. Like I've just done hunting videos. Um, this year we're going to focus a lot more on, um, you know, kind of telling the stories that I, the stories I want to tell that someday I want my kids to see, you know, but, uh, my grandkids to see, I guess, but we just started filming some stuff a few years ago and, and it's, 
man, it's been fun. And, you know, just run the social media just because I'm sure my friends on my regular Facebook just get tired of seeing hunting stuff all the time, you know? So I, <laughs> I, I my hunt DIY deal, I get to share, you know, uh, on a regular basis, all the things I love about hunting and all my experiences. And it, it, it's been fun. It's been really fun. That so. is fun, man. You, and you, and you actually, you do a really good job, uh, in terms of the, except I, I do have one bone to pick with you, Zach. Oh, uh-oh. Okay, so I don't know jack about making YouTube videos about, and I wish I did because I've, I've been on some really cool hunts that if I would have had a, like, you know, either myself filming it or somebody else filming it, it would have been really yeah. cool. I just don't have those kind of chops, but I'm working on it. And and so yeah. this year I'm, I'm working on filming. Um, I, I, I told my wife like six months ago, we're sitting around a campfire, we're up camped up on the river, and I'm like, I'm going to make these – these videos of, of some of these hunts because I get in some really crazy situations and I think it would be super entertaining. Right. And I'm like, I think the intro song should be the intro song that you use on hunt DIY. And now I can't use it. Man, that song got used by a bunch of people this year. (laughs) um, I think it's this year. um, I think Ross CV used it on the head on the beginning of their switchback, their icon tour. I'm pretty sure. I didn't see that one, man. Yeah. And Ross is a buddy of mine. I'm like, what the heck dude? So yeah. no, yeah, sleeping on the blacktop, and and yeah. so that that song, uh, like I thought I was one of the only people that knew about that song in like the whole Western hunting space, right? Uh, it's it, been used a few times. I know, so. I know. Man, I music, music's tough, and honestly, I've had a lot of guys have helped me with the video end of it. I'm not, I'm okay at videoing, but I'm the editing. I got a lot to learn, but but yeah, yeah, so I don't know anything about it. I like yeah. I, I'm just I'm just starting with it and uh, so anyway no it's cool it, it actually it actually bonded us in a way you might probably not even know because I uh, I love that kind of music and you got you yeah music me too and uh, it, it's just kind of my thing and so other than it was it was like oh man if he's using that I can't use that song <laughs> yeah it's it's a tough one man you got to find it music is. first I so. think I'll just use I, my podcast music on it there you go. Yeah, cool. So, is there is there like a specific mission that Hunt DIY has in terms of uh, shedding light on an on an aspect of hunting or, or anything like that that you want to share? Or how does that? You know, work? we've done, we've just done several. You know, we've done some regular just hunts. You know, but we've done several. Um, you know, tutorial type videos, which we need to do some more of those. But uh, you know, I've tried to kind of get away from the sponsor thing. I was kind of doing that for a while and, and mm-hmm. I kind of felt like it was taken away from what I was trying to do. And so in, in um, what way, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I just, I just felt like, and I mean, and we weren't being super cheap about it, you know, but we had sponsors and you always feel like you had to, you know, live up to these certain things that sponsors want, you know, and, and me, honestly, man, like I want to make some videos. I want to make some films that are like legacy films that, that the stuff we've been talking about today, the you know why you know about my dad taking me hunting and about my taking my kids hunting i want to do these legacy type films and i don't want to cheapen it by yeah um by doing stuff i you know that not that it's not cool and i and i use a lot and the, the sponsor gear i use when i first started hunting diy the gear i use is stuff i believe in that was my i don't use anything i don't believe in mm-hmm. and so that wasn't a problem but it was just and, and i still use that same gear and it's still gonna be in the videos now you know i'm just it's just I don't have to make such a a conscious effort to make sure that they're included. In it's not everything. like such a big deal. It's such a fine yep. line too, Zach. Like, yep. you know, um, I I'm with you. We have we have show sponsors on the show, 
And, yeah. and I, I like made a pledge that if, if I'm going to sponsor something on this, on this show, I'm going to, I'm going to actually believe in it and I'm going to yeah. have experience with it. And I've had a lot of these companies that they've reached out to me and they're like, Hey, we want to advertise on your podcast and we'll, we'll give you this much money. And, and I don't know shit about their product. And so I told yeah. them no. And, yeah. and I think that that's good. But I also think that there's there's an aspect where, you know, the time and the money and the effort that goes into making, whether it's a podcast or YouTube channel or, or whatever the case is, there needs to be this balance found where oh, it, does, it, it has yeah. to kind of – it's expensive. This stuff is well, expensive. Well, it's hard. That's what, yeah. that's what pe- people in the industry and, like, totally off topic, like, people in the industry, like, oh, they're using this. You know, it's cheap. It's like, well – you know, to put a show on the outdoor channel is like $300,000 a year. Yep. You know, it's like, so if you want these people to continue making awesome content, they're going to have to have sponsors because most hunters aren't independently rich, you know, and it's just like, no, man, it I'm, takes time. I'm poor. <laughs> yeah. It takes time away from your family to do a podcast. It takes time away from your family to, to make cool content for YouTube, you know? And so it's yeah. like, I, I get, I get it. I just, I'm to a point where I don't really, not that I have a lot of money, but I, I do my writing thing and I make money doing my writing thing. And so I can just have fun making videos and I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Like See, and really excited about it. I, I didn't know that you wrote for Western Hunter mag. Uh, yeah. I'm the, I'm actually the gear editor for Western Hunter magazine. Are you really? Yeah. So that, that's yeah. a cool, that like we could do a whole podcast just about that because i'm i'm i geek out when it comes to writing and hunting articles and and things like that and i feel like yeah yeah. there's a lot there's a lot to be said for that and i never have time to write anymore because i started the podcast and it takes up most of my time and so yeah it's man it's hard i get my irons and too many fires i know that yeah and you're a good writer man you you, like you're a suit i can learn a lot from a guy like you (laughs) i'm i barely passed english but i guess i'm i guess i'm uh (laughs) I'm That's passionate it. about it, so I, it mm-hmm. works. I, I, I'm not totally sure where periods and commas go, yeah, um, yeah. but I try. I that issue, too. Yeah, yeah, you know, it happens. It happens yeah. to the best of us. So um, why, in your opinion, should people consider, if they've never done it before, archery elk hunting in the the month of September? Well, it's the greatest hunt in the West, man. It's the greatest hunt in the world, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. it's 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 getting harder by the day just because uh i mean the elk hunting's the same but it's getting harder by the day with all the stuff going on with tags you know idaho you know they a lot of people are blaming idaho because they you know they made it harder for people to buy tags this year you know for non-residents uh, you mean yeah they sold the same amount of tags but they you know they did spill them up you know and montana's getting harder to draw wyoming's getting harder to draw mm-hmm. you know colorado's going to get there but for me it's just always been like anybody out there can go buy a tag and go hunt bugling bulls in your face in september um yeah it's 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 this it's the cheapest ticket to the best show there is in my opinion so uh i don't know why that's a great great way to put it man it it really is the greatest show um yeah it is i mean if you if you're a hunter and you've been, you've spent your whole life. Let's say you've spent your whole life in like the Southeast. You're in, yep. you know, Florida or, or Alabama or something. And you've, you, you're a big time whitetail hunter. You've sat in those deer stands and, and, and whatever and had, had these great big bucks come in. Um, that's nothing, man. That is, it's nothing compared to a screaming bull yeah. that is pissed off. 
He's like, just run it up as all get out. And and I for, for me, because I've done it all. I, I've done that kind of hunt that I was just talking about in the southeast. I've I've done the the big time mule deer hunts, which I which I I love mule deer. I love yeah, me public too. land whitetail hunting too. That's my new thing lately. But uh, there is nothing like a uh, a screaming bull in September coming into a bugle, and um and so that's why I do this series, and yeah. and, the, and the whole point is to teach kind of. You know, people whether and and I don't remember because we kind of did this twice with our internet issues. I don't remember if I've mentioned this, but for this series, the the goal is to take somebody whether they've been hunting for ten minutes or ten years to learn something about September archery elk hunting and the school yes. September. You know, it's kind of for everybody. And yep. um, give us an idea, Zach. Where where all have you hunted elk in September? What states? Um, what towns? Um, so I've hunted. Uh, I've just hunted. I've hunted Idaho my whole life. Um, this will actually, so I will be 42 in August. It'll be my 30th year of archery elk hunting. Um, and so I've hunted an elk in Idaho every year since I was 12 years old. I've hunted elk in. Um, I've been on an elk hunt in New Mexico with my father-in-law, just calling. Uh, I put him in. He drew. I I haven't been able to draw yet in New, in New Mexico. I've hunted elk in Montana, Colorado, Utah. Um, where else? Oregon. I've, uh, I will hunt elk in Wyoming for the first time this year. I've got 13 points. So I'm oh, going to burn man. my points in Wyoming this year. I, I will. Uh, I mean, if I don't draw that tag, I will be shocked. You'll, um, you'll draw it, dude. If you got 13 yeah. points, I, I bet yeah. you I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to be good. And I've, I've mule deer hunted in, in Wyoming several times and, and elk hunted with other friends, but I've been trying to draw a specific tag. And so, uh, yeah, I've hunted all over the West. Um, sweet. It's, uh, yeah, it's been it's been awesome. The point so. of that is to let the audience know that uh, when when you boil kind of all this down, uh, you know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, you, you do a really good job, and I, and I've watched. I, I've watched a lot of content on hunting, right? And it, you do a really good job with your stuff. You, you're a good caller. You know what you're doing. You you tag out as as we kind of dive into some of some of the more detailed stuff about uh, September elk hunting. So. I guess when when I start this conversation off and and bear with me because I'm a little bit rusty, man. I haven't done school of September since August of last year, so oh, man. Um, th- this is you know it's all new again. It's all it's yeah. all fresh for 2021. Lots of lessons learned in 2020 uh, for me and a lot of people in the audience. Uh, it was a super interesting year for us. But it was I a tough wanna, year. Yeah, it was. It was a tough year, man. Um, it was the. It was just full disclosure. Like I, like you said, I've, I've been around. Uh, last year was the first year since I killed that first bull in, when I was 15 years old that I didn't shoot an arrow. Oh, really? Really? Yep. So last year was. It it uh, it was a tough year for a lot of people. There was, specifically in Idaho. I I, I will yeah. say that I think I feel like Idaho had a, a specific dynamic last year and I don't get into, you know, a lot of that in depth in terms of, okay, well this year was super dry. This year was super wet or the moon phase was way off. Um, I personally, I, I don't get into a lot of that, but there was something about 2020. Um, the elk, it was rough. It, for me, the, the elk were not super vocal. They weren't nope. super aggressive. Um, it was different, man. And I, I had a rough year. I had a heartbreak of a year. And if anybody has not listened to this t- since the last School of September series, uh, I did stick a bull 
and I, I just like to be totally honest with the audience, uh, and I, I don't hide behind any of this. I did stick a bull on the second to last day. I was a complete pass-through. I never found him, and I spent five days looking for him. I blood-trailed him uh, for several days. Uh, it, it, it was it was a heartbreaking situation, and I, you know, there – I don't hide anything here, man. I, I people know that and listen to my show, dude. I am not a great hunter. <laughs> hey, I, I you do just, this long enough. I try. You all kind of, you well, you do any hunting long enough. You're gonna lose an animal, and all you can do yeah. is do your best effort, and you know, and and learn from it. That's, yeah, that's I mean, that's all. Here. That's all you could do. Um, yep. It's it's uh, what made last year difficult is I I did stick that bull and I I don't know what I would change if I was in that exact same situation again. I just must have twitched or hit a branch or I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I really don't know. So anyway, the point being is, is last year was rough. Uh, so hopefully you're not too hard on yourself, but the, the, the point is, is I, I want to kind of let's, let's start this off as kind of like a foundational conversation. Um, break it down as to in your mind, a guy that has 30 years of elk hunting experience in your mind, let's start with some of the biggest mistakes that elk hunters make, uh, especially if, if it's our first few times out, They've, they've drawn a tag. It doesn't matter if it's Arizona, New Mexico, or Idaho, or Montana, wherever in the West. Uh, and, and what do you see uh, that are like the top three mistakes that elk hunters make in your mind in archery season? Well, uh, overcalling, for one, is the, is the main one for me. Uh, that's, that's number one. Can, uh, can, can we break that down? What, what do you mean by overcalling? Well, you know... Because so I call a don't. lot, and that's that's why I ask that. I, I mean, and I, I'm fine with that. I mean, like, I'm fine with I'm with calling a lot. I call a lot, but uh, I do believe that you know the thing you learn over time, which is you know you're telling a first time person that, but you just got to learn to um, you know check an elk's temperature. What you know if if you're calling and he's hammering back to everything you're calling to, um, everything your noise you're making. You can keep calling, but sometimes you can just, if you pay attention to their cadence, if you're calling, there's certain things they don't like, or if you're calling too much, they kind of shut up, you know, and it's like, sometimes less is more, um, and keep them guessing, keep them curious. Uh, you know, I, I see guys and, and maybe these guys kill elk, but I see, you know, I was actually trailing a bull one time that I lost and, uh, a guy came to came, I, I shot him in the evening I went back in there the next morning to trail him and there was actually a guy parked where I was going and it was, I was there at daylight. I was there an hour before daylight, but I was going to wait for it to get light. And I just let him go ahead. I thought, you know, this bull kind of went off to the left to kind of a little weird spot where I thought, you know, this guy's not going to go there. He's going to go up the Canyon. Mm -hmm. And this guy literally bugled 200 times in two hours. (laughs) That's a little excessive. (laughs) There's no elk that's coming into that. It's just not going to happen. And so, you know, over this, this, as you're, don't just call and call and call and call and call. You learn from your calling, you know, just like you said, I said, you stuck a bull, learn from it, you know, but mm-hmm. you, you can tell what the elk's like and what it's not. And, you know, call and, and sit a few minutes and see what they do. Let, let's know, go back to taking, you'd mentioned taking their temperature and in kind of basing your calling strategy off of that. Uh, because there's, a, you know, you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of different takes on that. When I yeah. say I call a lot, um, I do not call 200 times in two hours. Not, no, I, yeah, by a long no. shot, but I yeah. do, I do, uh, 
I cover country. I call, but I am not one of those people that are, you know, you see some of these videos or you hear some of these big names, you know, they, they get a, a mild response out of a bull and they're like, oh, that bull doesn't want to fight and they move on, right? They're looking for the bull that fights. I'm not like that. If I get, I, if I get the slightest response, I'm going to work that bull the best of my ability. My yeah, ability have to. is limited. But yeah. I do work that bowl to the best of my ability. So the point being is, can we talk about what you mean by, you know, taking that bull's temperature? And do you you don't have your calls on you, do you? I don't know. Okay. No. Okay, but. and that's, that's totally fine. But um, like when when you're talking about taking taking the bull's temperature, can you kind of expand on that? Because I think a lot of people that for for you and I, guys that have that have been in the woods a long time, and and we kind of know what the bull is saying in a sense, yeah. you know, um, for for somebody new, they might not know what taking the bull's temperature is. Yeah, well, you know, if you get calling, um, and a lot of guys, you know, 15 years ago. People said you can't bugle elk in no more. You have to cow call, you know. And I have an opinion on that too. I think that every dude in the West or that elk kind of had a grunt tube and they had a whole bunch of new cow calls they wanted to sell. That's just my opinion. And so they told people that. Agreed. You know, you can still you can still bugle the elk. Um, a lot of guys that are very successful bugle all the time. I bugled almost every bull I kill. Um, but what I'm saying is, if you know, if sometimes you get bugling and, and or get calling to an elk and the bugle's working and he, you know, and, but you might bugle and all of a sudden that's the cues you got to pay attention to. Like, okay, this bull's bugling and all of a sudden he's not, what did I just do? And that might be that you blew a bugle that he didn't like, or you did a estrus cow call he didn't like, or, or whatever it may be. But, you know, it's just like, just like fishing, you know, if they're biting a, if they're biting on a worm, you don't throw them something else. You know what I mean? If you really want to catch fish. And so same as an elk, you just, you want to, whatever they're biting on, that's what you want to use. But, um, like I said, kind of the temperature thing is there's some elk when they're fired up and they're in close, you can just keep hammering them and they're going to keep coming. But if you, some elk, if you keep hammering, they're going to leave. And, and that's just, you just got to learn to read the elk and what they're saying and, and, and call sparingly when it needs to and call a lot when you need to. Okay, I got I you you just made it you like triggered a bunch of questions for me there. Okay. Um <laughs> man, I miss talking about elk like this. I I love this topic, dude. This is yeah, this is too. a great topic. Okay. So, um kind of on the same lines of of uh, if you're hammering an elk and and they're not they're not having it. Let's say you're out there and for you and you're kind of you throw out maybe a little locator, just nothing super aggressive, just just a a quick little bugle. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And you get a response that is kind of a moany sound. Do you, do you want me to kind of demonstrate that? Yeah, I, mean, I know what you're saying, but go ahead. Yeah, it's like it's like this. Yeah, have you heard that before? Oh yeah, yeah. What what do you do in that case? I don't I don't have my read. I thought I had all I have is bugle tube. Anyway. I mean, I guess judging on how far I thought it was, you know, if I thought it was in the, um, cause a lot of times to me that, like I said, we all have these opinions of what, what we elk say, you know, but to me, that's a bull that hears you, you know, he's probably interested, but he just wants to make sure what you are. And so, you know, if I hear that, I'll probably do another cadence of calls, you know, uh, uh, you know, a couple of cow mules with the diaphragm, um, uh, you know, 
depending on how how late in September, you know, um, hit hit a couple of calls with an open read. If it's later September, you know, maybe a a little more drawn out ester sound, and then maybe just a uh, you know a few a, a couple minutes later, a little two tone bugle, no chuckle. Are, are you are you moving around while you're doing that, or are you staying kind of stationary? You know, and that's that's the funny one. Like I I know like there is times that I do the call and because I kill most of my bulls, I call them almost all in by myself. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh you know guys will move ahead. I I have a lot of success with just sitting where I'm at. You know, when in that situation, if I just heard that real and because. You know, when you hear that sound you made, a lot of times, where was that at? How far off was that? Yeah, you know, the, was that those a, those moans are hard, well, man. Was that, was that a long ways away yeah, and I was barely yeah. hearing it? Or was it 200 yards away and he was just being quiet, you know? And so I'll try to get another response out of him uh, uh-huh. sitting in one spot. Give it, you know, five, ten minutes, if nothing. Um, you know, those are the ones where, like, that's a temperature thing. Like, if there's a bull screaming, I'll go right at him. But in that situation... He was kind of timid. He might have stood up and just started meandering your way. And if you jump up and run towards him without giving me time, he might be walking towards you. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I would, t- yeah, I would take it easy on that. Just you know, if if he doesn't do nothing, I'm gonna move towards it eventually. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take it easy. So I I, I always ask that question because I hear that response a lot. That that just lazy. They're laying there. They kind of moan back. Yep. Uh, I I. I guess in full disclosure, I think I ask that question a lot because I've never sealed the deal when they when they respond like that. I don't know how to react to that. And it's it, like you said, if they scream back and they're pissed off, I it, it's done, right? Yeah. But yeah. but but if they're if they're just kind of like that, it, it always just I don't know what to do. And so well, that's it, a situation to me where you need to pique their curiosity and the way to pique their curiosity is not by calling more. It's by calling less. So you're sitting there, you hear that kind of response. Do you immediately respond or do you just kind of sit on it? Maybe let five, 10 minutes pass and then maybe throw out another bugle or a cow call. Is that, is that accurate? Oh, if I cow call if so if I made a locator call, he did that back. Um, you know, if I had just bugled um, to get the locator or, you know, a lot of times I'll do just do an open read cow call for a locator, especially when I'm in timber, you know, kind of more close quarters. Um, but I would probably give them a couple cow mews just to the diaphragm within a couple minutes, you know, just to see if he does okay. anything, you know, and then wait a few more minutes and, and, you know, give him a little, a little more whinier call and an open read and then maybe a bugle. I mean, I don't know his bugle, but sometimes so. Okay. You had, you, you talked about, uh, cold calling a little bit earlier. Yeah. Can you walk us through your particular, like your, your personal cold calling method? Do you, are you, are you walking a lot calling every hundred yards or are you stationary or what give us a little bit of the, the ingredients to to what you consider a cold calling scenario that's successful? So it, when I cold, cold call, I generally, um, you know, if I'm backpack hunting, I mean, obviously you start, I can start right where I'm at, but if I'm day hunting, I'll generally put some distance between my rig and, and, and myself and the rig first thing in the morning, usually before daylight. Um, you know, if it's, it's not always a distance thing or sometimes a, a vertical thing, you know, but get up on the plane where I feel like there's going to be elk. Um, you know, if the bulls are bugling in the morning, it's easy to chase them, you know, but, uh, if, 
you know, if I feel like I'm looking at a ridge or especially if I know an area or, you know, a lot of times, uh, I hunt a lot of steep mountain country. There's, you know, halfway up the mountains or three quarters way up the mountains generally where the elk are going to be. That's the level they're going to be on. Um, and when I, and when I'm cold calling, you know, a lot of cold calling when the bulls aren't bugling, you got to be closer. And so I will try to get on that plane, you know, maybe call a little, a couple locators on the way out. But once I hit that area where I feel like there's going to be elk and if there's nothing going on, um, when I cold call, when I really set up and cold call, I will set up, I will get my arrow knocked and I'm ready, especially because it, it happens so fast. I mean, you know that. Um, and so I've learned a lot of times that if I just blow a call, I might have an elk in my lap in two seconds and I'm not ready without it, without yeah. even hearing a response. Is, yeah. is that what oh, you're saying? Oh yeah. 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 So I did that once, man. He like almost yeah. ran me over. I was pissed. Yep. Nothing and so, you know, I'll get an area and I'll set up like that. And then, um, and I'll call for 20, 30 minutes. And if I don't get a response, I'll move, you know, whether it's vertical or horizontal on that plane, uh, we're moving until I feel like I'm into another spot that, you know, go over a little break of the ridge where they weren't hearing me before. Cause I'm not getting real aggressive on the calls when I'm cold calling, you know, I'm not really blasting it out there. And so can, can you kind of like, I, you don't have your read, you don't have your, your tube. Can you kind of just demonstrate what you, or explain what you mean by cold calling, what that bugle sounds like? Like, is it a long so, cutoff? You know? No, no. So it's a really, uh, like, like I said, just a couple, just, you know, you know, just some soft muse with the cow call, mm-hmm. uh, two or th- two or three. And if I have a partner like my dad and I hunt together, we just kind of got a little, we'll, you know, we'll kind of cow call back and forth to each other. Um, you know, obviously if we have a bull coming, you know, we'll have a guy drop back and try to draw him by him, but we just kind of try to create, you know, cow calling back and forth to each other. Um, give it, give it that, you know, a few minutes after that and give a couple, you know, more drawn out. Meow the with a that with a open read call um you know like do the more drawn out ester sound which i can't do that without a call but yeah it's the hard, more dra- <laughs> more drawn out ester sound um and then you know my bugles are just like short two-tone not aggressive not threatening cut them off no chuckle generally or especially when i'm cold calling and then you know just wait wait a, you know wait five minutes ten minutes and do it again um and then, like I said, then move around the hill to where I feel like I'm out of that. Or, you know, if I move around the hill 200 yards and all of a sudden there's, you know, there's some a fresh pee, you can smell pee, and there's a puddle of piss there. And, you know, there's some fresh droppings or some tracks or, you know, instead of just running through there, because so many of these elk are so pressured anymore that they don't just hammer bugles out. Um You know, just move through and set up again and call. I kill a lot of bulls. We call a lot of bulls in that never make a peep yeah interesting man that's that's such a that's such a hot topic too i'm sitting there this last season and i was making it i'm a big fan of these peak refuels i think like they they just taste good yeah (laughs) and so i'm sitting there i'm all excited you know i've got this peak refuel going for lunch and all this stuff um and it's that midday time where I well pre midday where where I start really moving and doing this this whole locator you know cold calling thing and all of a sudden like 50 yards behind me I hear this the most aggressive bugle you've ever sound uh, you've ever heard I mean it is just ludicrous like 
after a huge buildup. That's that's the kind of bugle you would hear if this was yeah. making sense. And I, I, I like I kind of turn around and I'm sitting on my butt. I just kind of turn my head around and I see this hunter walking down the mountain. And he's just ripping off these super aggressive sounding lip balls and lip buzz and, and chuckles and all this crazy stuff. And, uh, and, and he finally sees me sitting there and I said, man, you sound great. I just, I don't, I don't know if that's the right, right strategy because nothing's talking, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, what, let's say you were sitting in my position. What would you tell that guy? Probably nothing. Nothing. You just let him pass. Probably. Um, just, man, I don't know. I, I guess I've got a little jaded on that. Like I used to, I feel like we've had a really, the quality, not, I don't know. I shouldn't say the quality of people's character. Uh, I'm not saying it right, but you know, it used to be when I would go into a trailhead or I'd run to a guy in the mountain, I would go up to him and I would ask him, Hey man, what way are you going? Let me, you know, and I, and I always mm-hmm. give him the first, the first option, you know, whether, even if, even if I know where a bull is, I give him the first option where are you going? So I can stay out of your way. You can stay out of my way, you know, and so many guys anymore just, well, it's public land. I'll go where the hell I want. Well, yeah, it is public land. You can go wherever you want, but it's better for both of us if we go a different direction. And, and I just get, I just got so worn out on guys saying that to me, a lot of these newer, younger guys. And, and, and I don't know if it's just this, and I'm all for the public land movement. I'm all for public land. I don't know if they just, I just feel like they could, make it a better make a better connection in the woods and so i basically probably would just let them walk by now i'm, a, I'm so. actually super glad you brought that up zach i i think that's a great topic to talk about especially for when, when we're talking about the school of september and archery hunting and here's why i say that because when i've done i've i've done it all in terms of i've i've been a muzzleloader hunter i've been a rifle hunter and i've been an archery hunter one thing that I always found that was really unique with archery hunting, especially for elk. Well, no, that, that's not true. Um, archery hunting in general, because I used to go on this um, incredible mule deer archery hunt, and it was it was mid mid August, and you know the still the the, the buck's still in velvet, and and it yep. was just this fantastic hunt, man. The mentality back in those days, and we're talking 10 to 20 years ago, the mentality yep. back in those days was as a bow hunter, there was like this mutual respect, right? Yep. It wasn't like the rifle hunts where there was so many people on the mountain and there's all this competition. Well, if I'm sitting here, you can't be there. You can't do – none of that stress was there. Yeah. And, and nowadays – we have this there there is this mentality and and i i am a big time, i am a big advocate for public land like you were you were talking about and we talk about we have episodes completely on this show uh d- discussing the necessity and the the importance of public land and our opportunities and our access and and the the, the advocacy that comes along with with maintaining that however you made a really good point in terms of people have this mentality that, well, this is public land. I can go anywhere I want. Well, that's only if you're an asshole. Yeah. Because when yeah. I, 20 years ago, on public land, when somebody was setting a drainage or somebody was setting a trail, you left it alone. You diverted. Yeah. You went a different direction. And we respected yeah. each other. 
And I do feel like there yeah. is a huge problem with a lack of respect these days in terms of, you know, everybody's out for this competition. I don't know if it's competition to so- show pictures on, uh, on on social media or what the deal is. Um, yeah. You, you've clearly hit a nerve with me, and, and, and it, I, I love talking about that. And he's yeah, well, September. This, oh, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. The I, sad reality is, is that, you know, 10 years ago, if you pulled up to a trail in the morning and there was a truck there, you could go somewhere else. Exactly. And, and I still do that. And, and, but the problem is, is a lot of times anymore, you can't, if there's only one truck, that, that's a good day. And so that's, that's my point being is if that does happen and, and sometimes we have to hunt, you know, in the big canyons and I get it, you know, but if we do run into another guy there, you know, perfect example, this canyon is huge. We'd spotted some bulls the night before, my wife and I and my father-in-law, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. We'd spotted these two small raghorn bulls. There, there's this big drainage that if I have my druthers, I'm going to climb straight to the top in the morning and work across it like we talked earlier. But in this lower set, this lower um, kind of slide, we saw a snow slide. We saw a couple of bulls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my wife had never killed a bull with a bow. And. And so, but we're heading in there in the morning and we run into these guys and they'd been, their truck had been there for days. So I didn't know where they were at. They were just there, you know, and, and they were ahead of us. I, I, when we walked them down the trail, we just caught them. They were just kind of hanging out. And I said, Hey man, I'm like, you were here first. Where are you going? We're going to go across the Creek right here, straight to the top. And I said, okay, well, we're going to kind of go up here in the bottom, you know, jump across the Creek, but we'll be way below you. We won't even go up there. Okay. So. We get up to this meadow right where these elk are at. I can smell the elk and we're sitting there calling. And all of a sudden what you said, I just hear this huge aggressive bugle, like 15 yards behind me. Yeah. And I know it's a guy. I know it's a guy immediately. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, dick really loud. And I turn around. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, we, and I said, dude, I asked you where you were going. I gave you the courtesy of asking you where you were going. And obviously you'd seen these elk too. And all you had to do is say that this morning and I would have left you to him. But instead the guy lied to me and then followed me where I was going. And then was pissed at me because I was there. Uh, man, that is so frustrating. I, I can't. Okay. Let me, let me calm down because <laughs> that when, uh, it goes back to what I, what I was talking about and what you were kind of referring to and this, this lack of respect these days, and, and there's like this this level of desperation that comes out of I don't know if it's social media or what, but there's oh, this part level, of it. you know, it, there is it is, and, and I'll I'll be the first to say I love social media. I'm not I'm not saying that I and I use it I use it to promote this show. I use it to to talk about hunting and fishing and 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 our outdoors and public land and all the, all these things. But there it creates like this level of desperation with some people. I think. Where they oh, yeah. have to I tag agree. out, they have to have that picture, they have to have this, you know, this story. Um, but but, but uh, on the other on the other side of that coin is like that's the truth, but success rates aren't changing. No, I mean ninety no. per eighty to ninety percent of the guys are going home without an elk, and so yeah, every guy that doesn't kill an elk can't be pissed off running around the woods mad at everybody. But that's what's I changing, mean, Zach. That 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 yeah. is what's what's changing. Yeah, when yeah. like twenty years ago, when we're, when you have when you get a bunch of bow hunters and they're all camped in different locations throughout a mountain range, if if you were to put all those bow hunters around the same campfire at night, everybody'd be laughing and smiling and oh, and, yeah. and patting each other's backs, right? Sharing stories. Yep. Talking about this, talking about that. Nowadays, there's this there's this treachery that happens. Like, oh, yeah. y- y- you just, y- 
somebody's stepping on each other's toes and i want that to end i really want that to end i i don't think there's any room for that in in hunting well I, and i don't care if it's archery hunting or bow hunting or, or uh, pff, archery hunting or bow hunting jeez man Apparently, I've been I've been talking way too much, but archery <laughs> hunting versus uh, rifle hunting versus muzzleloader. I don't I don't care what it is, but that kind yep. of attitude has to stop. Just because it's public land and you have the right to to go where where you want, if another hunter beats you to that spot, I feel like as a as as a hunter with ethics and responsibility, you need to back off that guy's spot or gal. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. th- it's a very important concept that I think a lot of people, uh, we lose that on and, and it's, it's taken us down this rabbit hole. Yeah. We're in the minority though. That's, and like you said, I don't know how to switch it, but it's, it's I unfortunate. Either. I don't either. It, it so. makes me so mad, man. I, I mean, you can yep. tell I, my voice raises, I get, <laughs> I get so bent out of shape about that because back like hunting in the eighties and the nineties, there was like such this camaraderie. And it yep. didn't matter what weapon season it was. And nowadays, it's just that camaraderie turns. Everybody's got camaraderie until it comes to hunting season. Yeah. You know, some of my best friends that I hunt with to this day and have for the last 15, 20 years are actually guys I met on the mountain. Yeah. I mean, several yeah. of them. Several yeah. of them are guys that I met hunting. Yeah. Um, so, but. And I, I've met some great dudes on the mountain. They're not, and not everybody's like that. Um, no. And so no, I'll say sure. that in full, full disclosure. And, uh, you know, it's not, not everybody's like that. There's still some great people out there that give you space oh, sure. or, or yeah, you give absolutely. them space. Or I yep. met some great young men, uh, this last year up, up, uh, I actually bugled them in <laughs> and, but, but they were so humble and so thankful and so just appreciative to be on the mountain. Uh, yep. and, and that's the kind of stuff that means, makes it uh, special, you know? And so yeah. let's, let's stop on that topic, Zach, because that, that, between you and I, we derail can, us all night. So. We we can have a whole podcast on that, man. Um, yeah. I want to talk about when uh, get back to your your cold called calling scenarios. I think the, uh, a good takeaway for the audience to keep in mind is you're not going out there in a cold calling sequence and just blasting the mountain with these super loud and aggressive bugles. You're just testing the waters, right? Am I yeah. off base? I mean, there, no, there's definitely times I'll locate, you know, if I hit a good ridge and like I'm calling a huge cane, like I'll, I'll let out a, lar- a long drawn out estrus call or a bugle call. But if I'm just working timber cold calling, it's, it's one of those deals like elk don't just sit there and, you know, super yeah. loud. Like, yeah. the, you know, I, I, you're basically coming through the woods, cold calling quietly at a normal range that elk would call hoping to entice a bull in to check out the cows. That's what you're doing. And so on that note, when you are walking through or, you know, whatever you're doing, you're doing your cold calling sequence and you get, you get a response. We talked about the moan, that little moan thing I did. Yep. Let's say you get an elk that kind of has a medium uh, response in ter- uh, And when I say medium, it's not super aggressive, but it's not like a lazy yeah. moan like that other one. It's just, it's more of a, does that sound okay yep. without my bugle? Yep. I sound, yeah, I, yeah, I feel really good. weird doing that, but anyway, go ahead. No, that, that's the bugle that I make. Like what you said right there though, that's like the call, the bugle I'll make when I'm cold calling. It's just that, me too. you know, just to, me too. and then if a bull does that kind of pretty much the same thing as the moan, like I'm going to, you know, let out a couple cow calls, just, you know, 
the bull bugled at me. Obviously, he's interested in something. Or is, is he interested or he's just like, hey, what's that? I want to know where they're at, you know. But I want to call again fairly soon just to see if he answers back and if he is interested. Um, you know, because sometimes that, that bull will come. And a lot of times that bull is a raghorn bull that will come running in as it is, you know. But, uh, but yeah, just a couple, you know, medium tone, just chill cow calls and just see what he does yeah and if you know and if he bugles again you know i i would probably let him bugle a couple times and you know if 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 he bugles the first time and he bugles two more times and i'm like okay he's not coming then i'm gonna move you know i'm i'm not gonna just sit there all day and let him bugle back and forth to me i heard enough elk bugle i'm gonna move in you know but i'll give him a couple just to make sure he's not gonna come on his own okay that that brings up a lot um are you one of those guys that do you feel like elk have like this specific language they use, or are you more of a, it's a sound emotion thing in their voice to kind of key you in on, on what their mindset is? Does it, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think they have a language when they're talking within their herd, but I think like a lot of that, that like it's the whole thing back to checking their temperature, like you said, like, it's just a thing. Like, I feel like, you know, and I've got my buddy, Matt, that I hunt with a lot. You know, he's kind of taught himself to hunt. I met him elk hunting in Idaho in 2011. He's from Oregon, my best buddy. Like, we hunt together every year. You know, and he's always asked me questions because he's got a lot better, but he, he didn't grow up hunting, you know. So mm-hmm. he'll he'll ask me these questions, too. And it's just like, man, you just got to learn. And it just comes from time. And I know it's hard when it's your first time out there. But I guess the biggest takeaway I can say is, like, don't don't just call and have elk answer. Like try to, even though we can't always understand what they're saying, like you can try to understand beyond just, just like, Oh, he answered, you know, what did he answer? What did he answer? Like, you know, at at what point did he not answer you? Or was his pause longer when you did this? You know, I mean, when you did, what was it you did that he immediately called back to, you know? And so, yeah, I just think yeah. I just think it's a back and forth talk. Once we get talking like that curious bull, that that, that sound you made to me is kind of a curious bull, you know, like, oh, what's that over there? Yeah. You yeah. know, and or so kind of like, you know, I'm over here. Where, where yeah. are you at? You know, yeah. and so just talk back and forth to them. Don't get crazy. I mean, there's times and, and that's one of those things that even a new elk hunter. When it's the time, you'll know it's time because yeah. they're screaming their head off. It doesn't matter what noise you make. They're going to bugle back. And it's not as crazy then as like, I'm not as picky about the sounds I'm making, but I am pretty picky about the sounds I'm making when the bull's not hammered hard. That's a great point. Um, you make, you make, you make a point that I I've been talking about for a long time in terms of, um, personally, I, I feel like people overcomplicate, uh, what elk are doing and saying. And, yep. and what I mean by that is there's this phrase. You, you, there's a phrase called, well, it's not called anything. The phrase, I stole your bike, right? You could say that in a, in a, in a couple of different tones. So you could say, I stole your bike. Okay, so in that tone, you are making the statement that I stole your bike. What are you going to kind of do about it? You know what I mean? Yep. Or, or there's, I stole your bike. That is asking, what do you mean I stole your bike? You're 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 yep. accusing me of stealing your bike, or there's like, 
I stole your bike. You know, just kind of a sarcastic. And so yeah. as cheesy as that might sound, there, there's the way those statements are the same, just like a bugle is the same, but it's, it's the interpretation of, of the hunter that what you were talking about, a lot of this comes out of time in the field and hearing these vocalizations from these elk. That, that, yep. that will help you identify that. And so if you're a first-time hunter, it's hard for people that have been out doing this for a while to express to you that there is some magic way for you to identify what that bull is saying. But but if yeah. you put it into the context of the I stole your bike method, you're, you're going to know. He's either telling you to get away, he's telling you to come closer, or he's telling you, you know, um, no big deal, I don't really care what you do. D- does that make yeah. sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. So, okay, so now let's let's put this into a different context. You're you're out there, you're cold calling, and you just flat out piss a bull off, and he gives you this super loud, aggressive response. What does Zach Bohe do at that point? Well, for if he doesn't want, so I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna give him a call um, right where I'm at and see what he's gonna do. You know, and, and it's that's all. If if he's 500 yards away, I'm gonna start moving. You know, but if that bull is 200 yards away that I feel like, and he screams at me, I'm going to give him a couple minutes to see what he does. I'm going to, I'm going to call a couple times, see what he does. If he doesn't start coming towards me soon and he's super fired up, I'm going to start moving towards him. Um, I want to get inside when they're fired up. You want to get, I mean, I want to get inside their, their red zone. You know, I want to piss them off. I what, want to be What close. do you consider the red zone? What, like what, I is want to be hundred yards, hundred yards or better. Yep. That's what I want to be. I mean, okay. it depends on obviously, obviously terrain foliage, you know, I mean, sometimes it's too open. You can't, but you know, I want to get close. Um, and a lot of times for me, the last, especially the last 10 years, um, it's the, it's the, it's the rake in the trees. It's the stomping around that to me is killing, it's killing more bulls for me, uh, because everybody calls, but a lot of guys forget that elk make a lot of noise and they, stomp around and they hit trees and, um, get a lot of response from that. You know, um, I got a, I got a crazy question for you. Have you ever raked with your bugle tube? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that for just a minute. I I get excited. They're pretty, uh, they're kind of too hollow sounding. They are, they are, but it works, man. I, I like, I swear by it, but I, I agree. It sounds too hollow, so it's better to use, you know, a, a branch or something, whatever you can find, a big stick. Yeah, kind yeah of I use a branch. Um, last mm-hmm. year, I found, like, I almost packed this off the mountain. I was sitting there calling for my buddy, Matt, and there was this, like, kind of rotted out log. I packed that thing all day. I have a picture of it. I'll have to send it to you, but I, I took a picture of it, but that thing sounded perfect. It was amazing. Yeah, but, send uh, it to me, man. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, ra- like, when I get inside that 100 yards, um. If, if he's hammering, I'm going to, I'm going to bugle. And if he bugles, I'm going to cut him off with a bugle. Um, you know, and then sometimes I'll, I'll just give him a minute when, after I do that and I'll rake a tree, I'll stomp around, you know, and a lot of times that I think they're just, like I said, we all try to try to guess, but I think they're just so used to dudes bugling to them. And I think they hear, Oh, that's a, that's an elk sound that stomping around and that, you know, I think a lot of times that this is the last straw. I mean, it doesn't always work, but it, it definitely helps. Yeah, that's that's the the straw that broke the camel's back right there in a lot of cases. Yep. And I, I, I do have a, an inside tip when it comes to the raking with the bugle tube. 
everybody holds it by the small part, the mouse side, right? If yep. you flip it around. So it's not the big hollow end. Yeah. You, you're so. raking with the mouse side and just deal with the fact that you might be hitting whatever with the mouse side and then putting your lips on it. That's all right. Uh, it's all right. You're an elk hunter. Yeah. You're, you're yep. an elk hunter. Come on. You yeah. harden up. A Hygiene bit. goes out the window. On Hygiene the goes out the window. Who cares? So yep. uh, interesting point. Okay, I, I'm gonna hit you with. We, we've been going at this for like an hour now. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you, Zach. I feel like we could do like 20 different podcast episodes. I, I really like talking to you, man. I'm gonna hit you with kind of a lightning round of questions here right. that that is uh, you know uh, consistent with the school of September. Uh, moon phase, how does that affect your elk hunting or does it? Um, I pay attention to it, but my, you want to know the simple fact? I'm going to hunt every day of September every year until I can't walk no more, so it doesn't really matter that much. Perfect. So. If you were to draw a uh, premier tag in whatever state, um, which week – whoops, I my laptop started going dark on me. There we go. Which week would you choose out of September? To hunt all of them. Uh, just get, um, it, <laughs> man, uh, depends on, I, I guess, short answer depends on how long the season is. Um, if I had the whole month of September, is that what you're asking? Yep. Yep. I mean, if I, Any if I had the whole months. month, of, whole month of September in an area that I'd never been in, I would probably pick some, you know, somewhere from the 12th to the, you know, 12th to the 20th, somewhere in there. Um, if okay. I'd been to the area, um, maybe earlier, it just depends. If I, if I know where there's going to be elk, I really don't care when, honestly. Um, but if, 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 if I'm worried about, um, if I haven't been to the area and I'm going to need to rely on bugling bulls to find them, especially if it's thicker, I want to be there when they're bugling, but before they're all herded up at the end of September. If you were to, pick one of the following three elk vocalizations to practice and learn the most would it be a cow calls b challenge bugles or c chuckles and grunts a a can you can you expand on that uh, as a new elk hunter you mean Yep. Um, yep. Exactly. I just, I feel like you can call more bulls in with the cow call. I mean, I think you can, I think bugling helps and I want that in my arsenal, but if I only was able to get good at one, I would be cow calling. I just feel like it's the least threatening, uh, especially a lot of new elk hunters are after. Um, it, it, that's also a thing, depending on what bull, what caliber of bull you're hunting, you know, a new elk hunter is going to be happy with a raghorn. I think cow calls are the most effective way to call in satellite bulls. Can we, can we investigate that just a little bit further? Because I, I I had brought up the fact that um, I have never like called in a fired up bull on a on a cow call. However, I have gotten more responses out of cold calling from cow calls from a bull than I have from just you know throwing bugles out. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean I've called a lot of bulls in cow calling a lot. Um, tell, tell me, I want to learn from that because I, I want to be better at the cow calling thing. I, I don't spend a lot of time with it. And so, but all I know is, is I can throw a cow call into a drainage and I'll usually get a response if I know elk are in there. Uh, yeah. Hey, on a side note, dude, I was out turkey hunting Thursday of last week. I used a turkey call. Why? I, there was, there was some cows out grazing in this, uh, uh, this meadow about, 60 yards from me these cow elk 
and I started trying to crank a, uh, crank a cow sound out on these turkey calls, these Phelps turkey yeah. calls that I use. And I actually had a cow turn around and, and mew back at me. She meow. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, I just had to throw that out there. I, I've been pretty excited about that. I get, I get a big kick out of any kind of vocalization. I don't care what kind of animal it is. Calling in animals, um, it, you know, is, is, is kind of my, my thing. So getting back to the cow vocalizations and calling in bulls, can you just expand on that a little bit and, and tell us what your philosophy is on that, if you will? Well, I mean, I just, I've just, you know, like I kind of honestly um, bought into the whole deal. Oh, you can't bugle them in, you know, and you got to get these cow calls. And um, just a, just a cool story. Um, I was probably about, I don't know how old I was. I, I'd probably killed an elk, but um, I went to a Wayne Carlton seminar. I, I made my dad go, one goes Wayne Carlton seminar. It was right when the, the, the first fighting cow call came out, the little green fighting oh, cow call. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know exactly so, what you're talking about. Yeah. We went to the seminar, and Wayne is um, an elk hunting pioneer, and he's, um, I mean, he's, Amazing, his not great. I love it. I think, his, I think his health's not great now, but his seminars, if you ever got one back in the day, they were unreal. Just like, yeah. com- it, was a com- it was a comedy routine with elk hunting. But uh, he, uh, <laughs> at the end of this it. deal, he, he released these fighting cow calls. And, uh, and I told my, I said, Let's buy those. I talked to my dad into buying both of us one of these fighting cow calls, and it was August 30th, opening day of Idaho season. Mm-hmm. We went in. We climbed up this big ridge. There was nothing going on. We hadn't heard a thing all day. And I said, let's try that cow call. And my dad is like, Zach, that is the dumbest sounding call I've ever. He goes, there is no <laughs> way that is going to work. That is just absurd. And I guarantee you these elk had never heard this sound from a cow call before. Finally, I talked to him in blowing this cow call, and it's midday, thermal's coming up. We had literally five bulls screaming coming from every direction below us. And I know that we have all these rosy memories, but I vividly remember screaming bulls just coming up from every direction as to this cow call. Yeah, to live that kind of... Yeah, it was unreal. And so I got really into cow calling um, and just called a lot of elk in over the years with a you know, I use the the, Fest, the Phelps Easy Esters call, you know, now I've used a lot of calls. Um, the old scary, Siri calls, I don't remember those. We call a lot of bulls in with those. Yep, yep, um, yep. Yeah, I um, remember those, man. Those things were super loud. And, and yeah. my, dad, my dad still packs one and uses a locator uh, for really booming them out there. I got a question for you. So, so you're, how old are you, man? I am 41. Okay. So I know it's unbecoming of a lady, but we're about the same age. Okay. When your dad was elk hunting, like when you were a kid, was he calling yep. elk? With me? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And what, what, like, what was he using back then? This is just total personal curiosity kind of thing. So my first elk, it must have just been a uh, just a diaphragm, probably an old brown Carlton diaphragm call. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. What was he um, before that? Like maybe ni- late 1960s, uh, 1970s? Was he calling? I think he started. In? I think he started bow hunting in the 70s. I believe he killed his first bull in 81 with a bow, um, and he bugled that in with the old radiator hose. That he's, oh, you know, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so. awesome. Yeah. So, I'd, and then I'd love to get your dad on the show, man, and talk about yeah, those days. Yeah. He's a, 
he's quite a character. So. You think he? But, you think he can talk him into coming on my podcast? Oh, I don't know. So he uh, he thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> so, so I'd yeah. love to. I love talking about that. Uh, Man, that. you know, I do got a guy though. Let's talk. I got my my cousin Reed. Uh, if you could get him on one, he would be awesome. He was my like elk hunting hero growing up. He'd kill more bulls than anybody I knew. Well, tell me about that, man. I, I'm serious. So, I'm serious. Like the, the, I, I want to hear. So, okay, l- let me just break this down for you. Everybody hears from like some of the big, big names in hunting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And nobody knows who my cousin is. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, I mean, even you, man. Like, you are a profoundly successful elk hunter that a lot of people hear from and a lot of people know because you like to share uh, yeah. your content just yeah. like I do. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it's, it's, it's really good stuff. So I don't take it the wrong way, but I, sometimes I want to hear from people that nobody has ever heard from before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we and can, my cousin, my cousin, Reed, he's a character. He, he's pretty funny. So, all right, well, so. we're going to hook that up after we, after we get done recording here, but all right. Um, I want to get your take on a couple other things here. We talked about moon phase, right? We talked yep. about specific weeks that that you would go. Uh, I want to get your take on hunting like early phase strategically versus late rut. So let's let's talk last week of August, first week of September, and compare that to like last week of September. Do you have kind of a take or a breakdown on that? Um. So. I spent a lot of time. Um, so, I mean, I definitely kill bulls in the evening, but I kill a lot of my bulls, um, you know, between nine and 11 AM. Um, and so a lot of evenings early, I spend glassing, getting high and glass and I mean, whether that be from a road or that be hiking in, you know, I, I'll hike in and hunt, but I'll get up high and glass bulls does, for the next but does day. That, does that change during like early September versus late September? Um, Late September, I mean, I by the end of late September, so maybe it's just because I'm crazy. I want to kill an elk really bad. I'm just hunting nonstop. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I early, I mean a lot of times early when they're not doing nothing, I want to be glassing where I can be on them the next morning. Where I feel like later in the season, I can probably locate, call them in the morning, even in the dark, and get them to answer. Where I might not be able to do that in August and September, early okay. September. Okay. And so. I get up high glass bottom. That way I can cover ground in the morning and be where they were at at dark the night before. So I'm on them first thing in the morning. Um, Where later I can, you know, you can call. Bulls should be, at least to some extent, even if they shut up, you know, a lot of those bulls, and especially hard-headed public land, you know, they'll they'll bugle for half an hour after daylight. but And then they're done, you know, just because of pressure. But at least you can hear them in the morning where a lot of times early August or late August, early September, they might not be at all. Okay. So I have this, I have this, uh, th- there's like this theme that I found with, with really good, you know, successful elk hunters that, you know, not like me, like actual legitimately good tag notching elk hunters. And, um, and what they talk about is, is, you know, there's the elk hunters that are really big into early morning and late evening before, before dark, obviously, and yep. then the midday madness people. Um, I for for me, I have personally had more elk responses on that midday time from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. That, but that's just for me. And that's saying, you know, the the bull that I shot last year was like minutes before sunset. 
So yeah. it's not always the case. Obviously, I, I hope I would hope that people listening to the show have enough common sense to know that th- th- these are not 100% truisms. Um, yeah. It's it's all about just kind of odds. And if you were to break it down, I've had more elk responses during that midday time. Uh, is that is that the same for you, or do you have do no you have an I, opinion on I, that? I would say I would kill most of my bulls, like I said, between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Yep, you said. Um, okay, good. And that's good. because I'm chase, chasing bulls in the morning. Um, are you are circle, you chasing them like you hear them before sunup and you're kind of chasing them to a bedding area and yeah, and then yeah. calling them? Okay. Yeah. But the, there is the one thing to circle back to moon phase that I will pay a lot more attention to is I feel like um, with a with a full moon, your evening hunts are better. Reason being, yeah, because the bulls are up all night. This is my thinking. The bulls are up all night screaming, right? And so they go to bed early. A lot of time, those bulls will be more active the last couple hours before daylight because they've been down all day. Oh, yeah. I've never thought of it that way. <clears throat> they've been down all day. And so a lot of times on a full moon, we'll have a lot more success the last couple hours of daylight just because they're, you know, they're getting restless. They've been, they bedded down at 730 in the morning and they're ready to get up and get going. Awesome, man. Okay. You're sitting on an airplane, right? You're flying, um, let's say it's uh, February. You're going to Maui for a week. Okay. You're taking your wife. Your wife's super happy with you because you're actually taking her on a trip where it's not hunting related. <laughs> and uh, you guys end up sitting next to a dude that just drew his first tag ever for elk hunting. And he's like, dude, Zach. What is the best piece of advice you can give me as a first-time elk hunter? What do you tell that guy? Time, man. All is time. Now, when you say time, do you mean time in the field or time meaning overall years of experience? No, time in the field. Like, like so my buddy Matt. My buddy Matt is a marketing dude. was a was a marketing director for Benchmade. He's a marketing director for uh, WorkSharp now. He's my one of my he's my favorite elk hunt buddy. Oh, cool! But he's a he's a corporate dude, right? Like they don't get they're not a a road worker like me that gets all September off. Yeah, you know. And so yeah. and so he lives in Oregon. He drives out here, so that burns a day. So he gets here midday Saturday. He's got to leave Friday to get back home. And a couple of years ago, he's like, dude, like, I am just sick of this, not killing a bull. You know, it's like, I haven't killed a bull in several years. And I'm like, dude, you're only hunting five days a year. Yeah. Like, it's it's hard. Like, especially when you say this dude I meet on the airplanes coming out here from Illinois. You know, he's going to take him three days to find an elk. And then At he's never least. hunted. Yeah, he's never hunted an elk, you know. And so it's like, you need to... If you're going to make the investment of your time and your efforts to go on an elk hunt, do your best to make it 10, 14 days if you can. Yeah. I would I would expand on that because what you just said just it really triggered a thought that I've never really put together. And, and, and by you saying that, it did. And, and so um, wh- what that is is let's say you are coming from Illinois or you're coming from Missouri or Florida or North Carolina – somewhere in the Midwest to the East Coast, right? Yep. When you think about it, when, you, when you're talking about those states and you put that in, into the context of how they hunt white-tailed deer, there's whitetail everywhere. You're going to find yep. white-tailed deer in a Walmart parking lot 
or in some remote, far-off public land space in these in these Midwest to East Coast states. Yep. When you contrast that with where you're going to find elk, elk are herd animals, and and where yep. they're at is going to be very specific in terms of habitat and and feed and water and all pressure. This, all, pressure pressure is a really good one. Um, and so I think that that's a mistake that a lot of people coming from the Midwest or East Coast make is they make this assumption that they're like whitetail where they're everywhere. You just got to go out and call one in. Uh, that yep. is not the case. No. Uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of circumstances. If, if you find this cool drainage on Onyx maps or base maps or whatever mapping system you're using that looks great for elk habitat – what that what that system is not going to tell you is if a if a pack of wolves moved in and pushed yep. those elk out for for three weeks. Uh, anyway, Zach, you you uh, you triggered that thought. The the elk are in very specific areas. And yep. And that's the glassing thing. Like I met a guy yeah, last year. Yeah. He'd been he'd been camping this one spot for like three weeks. He'd been there the whole season, and I'd I'd came and went hunting other areas, and this dude's still there, and he's from Virginia. And a guy, I was coming through his camp, rode right by his camp, and a guy I knew actually happened to be sitting there talking to him. I was talking to him, and I was just like, man, you got to be seeing some elk, huh? He's like, dude, I haven't seen an elk. And I'm like, I was like, ha, yeah, whatever. And he's like, no, really, I haven't seen an elk. And I, and he'd been there for three weeks. Crazy. And that's that's the whole point is I'm like, I just wanted to say, dude, if you just sit in your lawn chair in your camp tonight and watch that hillside right there, that big wide open sagebrush hillside, you're going to see an elk. You're going to see an you know, elk. But I think that that guy had the mentality you're talking about. I think he was diving into the thick timber at daylight, and he was staying there all day long. Yep. And he was and just where he couldn't see. And, like, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes you better just sit your ass out in the open and spot an elk. Yeah. And then go try to kill it. Going to be super dependent on your ge- geographic region. Like like northern, northern Idaho, where I'm at, that's not going to work because it's so brushy no, and thick no. here. Yeah. Southern Idaho? or Utah, or, uh, Colorado, Arizona. Uh, um, one time I was elk hunting in Utah. I got the flu like three days into this elk hunt, and so I stayed back at camp the one day. I was super sick. I was, I, I mean, yep. like legitimately throwing up all this, all this shit. I was, you know, I was really sick. Anyways, I'm sitting there at the campfire just feeling like crap, and uh, across the little dirt road right in front of the camp is this kind of bare... Uh, face of this this uh, ridge that, that, that went up not it wasn't like huge but anyway eight bull elk go running across this ridge at the same time as i'm sitting yep. there <laughs> way out of bow yep. range obviously but anyway the yeah. point being you you had mentioned time and i really want to hammer that point home because i think that out, out of all the school of september episodes that i've had not anybody's really made that point as in terms of a priority Time is so crucial. Time yeah. in the field is, it, like you, you said it, if you're only spending five days in the field, that's not going to cut it. Especially nope. for, can, you might get lucky. You might get lucky. That's a recipe for the one bull in 10 years. That's one bull in 10, exactly. And uh, I, I have expressed that to my my cousin who who kind of moved here several years ago. And I, I've, I've kind of taken him from never hunted in his life to now he he lives for hunting right uh, but but he was only spending a couple of days or or maybe 5 days or maybe 10 days in a season for both deer and elk combined 
And, yep. and I, I had to explain to him that, you know, I don't care how good of a caller you are. I don't care how much you know about thermals or I don't care our elk behavior or what they eat and, and all these things that factor into, into success. You don't spend enough time. Yep. Time in the field is what makes a difference. And last year he went out and he put an arrow in a bowl. And so nice. that, I don't know. I don't know how to express that greater than that's a, that's a great point. And it is, it is super critical that people understand it takes more than two to five days to put an elk down. Um, yeah, and then, and then you got to kill yourself. Like, and yeah. that's another problem. Guys come out here, they got five days and they got to kill themselves. And the first day they're dead. They can't go no more. You know, it's like you got 14 days, you can come out and climatize yourself and ease into it, you know, and, and chase the elk when you do find them. Yeah, you man. Know? So great point. But, well, my friend, um, here we are hour, hour and a half or so. Uh, and obviously we had a half an hour of dealing with technical problems, so I already feel guilty yeah. about how late it is. So, no, no, no worries. Um, so. Zach, I'd love to get you back on in the future, man. I feel like you're yeah, just you this wealth of information that, uh, that, that people can learn from. And, uh, this has been perfect for the, the opening episode of the school of September. Thanks a bunch for coming on. I, I did want to ask it. you. Can you share with the audience where they could find you, find your platform, find your content? Uh, and from, from a personal standpoint, you guys listening, this is worthwhile content, especially if you like organic beards. I don't know if we had, <laughs> had brought up your organic beard yet. Oh yeah. But yeah, um, <laughs> I got, I got a, yeah, that's quite, it's quite a beard. It gets a little out of hand by hunt season, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, my, my YouTube channel is just called, uh, hunt DIY. We actually didn't do any filming last year. There's a lot of cool old content on there. Some, I had a really cool elk hunt from 2019. I called a bull and shot him at 10 yards. It was a pretty cool hunt. Uh, Super and, cool. Yeah, and then great um, calling. And then um, yeah, and my my Instagram's just uh, you know hunt underscore DIY. Um, Facebook same thing. So and then uh, like I said, I write for I'm the gear editor for Western Hunter Magazine. Uh, there's a shameless plug. Go subscribe to our magazine. So, yeah. Uh, you know what? But, uh, I think I, I don't think I've subscribed in like a year, man. I, I need to go yep. renew it. Yeah. Do that. I write for a lot of magazines, you know, Bowhunter, Peterson's Bowhunting. I've been doing stuff for Peterson's Hunting. So I'm kind of all over the place. Too busy to too busy to keep up with it all. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Point being is uh, Zach has a lot of credibility on this fact uh, on on the topic that we're talking about in terms of school September and other other hunting categories that we can probably go on and on about. The point is it's 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 Western hunting. This is a Western Huntsman podcast. You guys can learn a lot from Zach. Follow him on Instagram. Follow the the, the website and the YouTube channel. Uh, the YouTube channel is great, guys. Like it's legitimate video recording of these these epic hunts. I loved watching, I, and I, I, I'm going to totally draw a blank here, Zach, but that hunt you were doing in, well, the organic beard hunt, where was that? Was that the Utah hunt, or was that the... My, that was in Idaho. Was that so, Idaho? Yeah, it was, yeah. I could have no, that was a Utah hunt. I do have a Utah hunt on there where yeah. uh, my, my beard's a lot shorter than that one, though. But yeah, I killed a big bull in Utah a couple years ago, so, but, mm-hmm. yeah, but... Yeah, the big beard one that was in Idaho was yeah. two years ago. It was, so. that, that was such a fun episode, man, watching that yeah. one and, and how that man, that, that hunt, that hunt, we thought we were done, man, and all of a sudden. I know. Like, that, that, that's you, you guys thing. looked wore out, man. Yeah, that's another thing for for first-time hunters, man. This all changes in a minute. We thought we were done. We are packing up, going home, and the next 
two minutes later, we were packing elk meat. So yeah, uh, it changed in a hurry. So. Super fantastic. Uh, Zach, you, you're an inspiring guy, man. I, I mean, you are just the, the, the epitome of Western hunting, the heritage, the, the, the idea, the legacy behind it. Um, it's all wrapped into Zach Bohe. And, and well, I, I appreciate going for, you, brother. So. I, I appreciate you, brother. Let's keep in touch, obviously. And I, I'd love to get your take on some future stuff as, as we're kind of rolling this out. But this school is September. I'm so pumped. Um, talking to you just, just gets me more pumped. So I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we're going to get all the links in the website, guys, between the YouTube and the Instagram. And all that stuff is going to be in the, in the show notes, if I can spit that out right. And you guys need to check it out. We'll uh, talk to you soon, Zach. I appreciate you right, coming thanks, on. Thanks, You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.